Alright everyone, good evening. Thank you for coming. Parshas Lech Lecha. Tonight's, uh, this week's CD has been dedicated. We're back to the CDs. Hashem should help, they should work. Um, it's been dedicated by the Smolyansky family in honor of a grandmother. Fega Bas Ramosha. May her neshama have a super aliyah to the greatest, greatest, greatest of heights. May she channel lots of brachas to the Smolyansky family for all that they need and all that they want. Mazel bracha and only, only great, 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 wonderful good things. Um, the shear is available for anybody that wants to dedicate it. And we're ready to go. We're ready to go. So Parsha Slechlecha is a super exciting Parsha. Uh, Parsha Slechlecha begins the story of the Jewish people. And um, if we're serious people, we always want Tachlis. Tachlis meaning get down to business. What's it, what's it really all about? You know, if you have a meeting with someone, so if they're not that busy of a person, they have a, you know, a lot of time in their life, they can sit and chat and talk and talk. If you meet with an important CEO, a person important, that's a, he always wants, so get down, what's the tachlis? So when it comes to Yiddishkeit, we also want to know, what's the tachlis? If this is the story, here's where we begin a narration of the story of the Jewish people and all the mitzvahs, to a certain degree, the Torah begins in Parshas Lech Lecha. Because everything in Parshas Bereshis Noach is just introduction. Now we get down to the first Jew, Avram Avinu, and then later the rest of the Torah is instructions for the Jewish people of how to live our lives in this world. But what's the Tachlis? So we know what's the Tachlis. What's the Tachlis of the Jew? What's the Tachlis of the Jew? Tachlis of the Jew is to bring God into the world. That's what we're all about. Our being, when we say tachlis, what's the purpose? So we have to clarify. In essence, the Jewish person, the Jew doesn't need a purpose. Because we don't have a beginning and we don't have an end. Our existence is absolute. Because the neshama is peace of God from above. And you can't ask what's God's purpose. God doesn't exist for a purpose. He just is. He is. Isiism. He is beingness. And that too is a definition. We can't even say that on it. He just is. or Because we'd have enough for no better word. He just is absolute. The Jewish soul, being part of God, also exists with an absolute existence. When we're talking about purpose, we mean what's the purpose of the Jewish people down here? What are we doing in the world? That there is a purpose. So what's the purpose? The purpose is to introduce God to the world. To bring Hashem into the world. And, and that's our entire story. From the very, very onset of Avram Avinu to the very, very, very end, the mission, the purpose, the reason we're here is to infuse the creation with the light and not just the light, but the presence and the being of the Creator. That's the purpose. That purpose will be realized by the coming of Mashiach. So what's the purpose? What's the tachlis? 
the Tachlis is Mashiach. Mashiach is the sum totality. It's the end game. It's the end result. It's the, it's the realization of everything of, of Jewish history. From the very beginning to the very end, it's all about to bring it back. Because Mashiach means, Mashiach means the anointed one. But Mashiach is a time of the redemption, the final redemption, brought about through the anointed one, through Mashiach Tzedkenu. But it's... And, and what is the redemption? What is the content of redemption? The content of redemption means more than ridding the world from pain and sorrow and ignorance and tears. When Mashiach will come, all that will be gone. There won't be any hunger anymore. There won't be any illness anymore. There won't be any suffering anymore. There won't be any tears anymore. The Pasuk says, that God will erase every last tear. So all that will be gone. But Mashiach is more. Mashiach redeems the world from its very, from every constriction and from its very existence as a limited, finite entity. The redemption of Mashiach is to redeem the world from its finitude. Because when Mashiach comes, we finally achieve a fusion of the world with the Abishter, where God and His creation are fused together. Once the creation is now unified and completely one with Hashem, so the infinity of God, the eternity of God, then is translated into the creation. And then the creation stops being finite, limited, it becomes limitless. And that's the redemption. And that's the, what we're talking about, this fusion. So that's the purpose of, that's the tachlis, the tachlis of Judaism, the tachlis. So always the tachlis, the very end, is always sensed in the beginning. The rule we say it every Friday night in davening, soif ma'iseh b'machshav atchilo. The end of Maisa, the, de- the end of action, meaning the last and final um, completion, is what was at the thought, at the very, very beginning of the thought process at the beginning. So the, and, or another expression is, which is a, an expression of Sefer Yetzirah. The beginning is wedged in the end, and the, we- and the end is wedged in the beginning. There's always a connection between what's, what's at the very, very, very beginning and what's at the very, very end. Which means that in the middle, in the midst of the process, you don't always sense neither the beginning or the end. But at the beginning, you sense the end, and at the end, you sense the beginning. Because the two of them are rooted one in each other. So if now Parshas Lech Lecha begins the story of the Jewish people, and the end story is the last and final generation, and not just the last and final generation, but the the the, the the transition into Mashiach's re- ultimate redemption. So that must be right at the beginning and at the start. It's okay. It must be right there at the beginning and at the start of Parshas Lech Lech. So where do we find... So we have to say that right over here at Parshas, right, right when you start learning Parshas Lech Lecha, Boom, or bam, rather. Boom and bam are good. Um, boom, bam. Moshiach is here. 
Where do we have Mashiach right at the beginning of Lech Lecha? So, right away. So, if you remember two, two, three years ago, we see Mashiach immediately at the beginning of the story, the beginning of the journey, in that, that immediately we have a tag along. Lot comes along with Avram. And Lot is one mysterious being that doesn't seem to be needed over here in this entire story, and yet he's tagging along with Avram. So we had then discussed, because Lot is the ancestor of Moshiach. Because Lot later is going to... Um, he's going to have relations with his daughters, and his daughters are going to give birth to the two sons of Ammon and Moab. And Ammon and Moab, Moab and Rus, King David's, David Amalek's grandmother, she's a Moabite convert. And she comes direct ancestry from Lot. So you see that on the first journey, when Hashem tells Avram, Lech Lecha, begin your journey to the land that I will show you. Begin your journey as a Jew. Take your first step as a Jew. Avram doesn't take that first step until he takes along Mashiach, along with him. It's really awesome. Showing how pivotal, how essential Mashiach is to the whole story. How it accompanies the story as the story of Judaism unfolds in the background, as a backdrop, is, the, is Mashiach unfolding. So we discussed that a few years ago. You can listen to those classes. Two classes, Lech Lech part one and part two was called Tagalong Soul. It's really fascinating stuff. It's on the website. But today I'm going to stop. Let's, let's find Mashiach elsewhere. In the very name of the parsha. The parsha's name is Parshas Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha. And Lech Lecha gets, gets us excited. Oh, it's Parshas Lech Lecha. Noach, we know, is a little bit of a dark parsha. Lech Lecha is a happy parsha. So Lech Lecha is Mashiach. How is Lech Lecha the redemption, the up-and-coming redemption, or better than that, the current redemption. How is Lech Lecha the redemption? So the sages tell us that whenever you see double letters in the Torah, you should know it's all related to redemption. What are the double letters in the Torah? So we know in the Aleph Beis, we have the 22 letters of the Aleph Beis, but in addition to 22 letters, we have another five letters. And they're called Menatzpach. What are Menatzpach? Mem, Nun, Tzadik, Pei, and Chof. These are the five letters that are double digits in the letters. Because you have two Mems, the regular Mem, and then when you have a Mem at the end of a word, you have another Mem, and so on. Mem, Nun. It's called Menatzpach, even though the first letter is Chof. For some reason, uh, the, the way we say it is Mem Nun Tzadik Pei Chaf. Chaf is at the end. Fine. Maybe Chaf is at the end based on what we said before because the beginning is wedged at the end. So Chaf is the first. And, and, and the Medrash says whenever you have these double letters, they indicate redemption. Because there were five redemptions in history. And each of those redemptions are rooted in one of these letters. Avram Avinu was the first one. Abraham, Avram, he had his redemption. Yitzchak had a redemption. And Yaakov had a redemption. For these three giants, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, to be our patriarchs, the father of the Jewish people, each of them needed to be redeemed. We'll soon see what that means. But a redemption. And then two redemptions for the children. When we went out of Mitzrayim, 
That's the fourth redemption. And the fifth redemption, again, the last two. One when we went out of Egypt, our first redemption. And then our final redemption through Mashiach Tzadkenu. That's the final, that's the fifth redemption. And, there, and the power for these redemptions are in these five letters. The end letters. The double letters. So then the Medrash explains. Chaf. Avram Avinu was redeemed with a chaf. Lech lecha. So even though there's two lamids here too, but the lamid is the same lamid, it's not a different lamid. Meaning there's no two kinds of lamid, it's only one kind of lamid. Lech lecha. Even though you can ask the question, when you look at lech lecha, it's also this, the same. It's in, in the way lech lecha is spelled over here, they're both the end chafs. But in lech lecha, yeah, you're right, it's both the end chafs, but they're both the second letter. It's, it's, in Lamed, there's no double letter. Lamed doesn't exist as a double letter. Chaf exists as a double letter. So, so in Lech Lecha, it's not one regular Chaf and one, and, one, and one end Chaf. They're both the end Chafs, but it's the second letter. It's the doubling of the Chaf that you have. And that's... Avram Avinu was redeemed with the power, with, with the power of the Chaf. That's the letter Chaf from Menatzpach, from those five letters, is what brought Avram Avinu redemption. The Mem brought Yitzchak redemption. He says to Avimelech, Avi Leave me because you've become very powerful. Atzamta Ma'od is double Mem. In the word Atzamta Ma'od, even though the Mem is not at the beginning of the word, for some reason the Medrash says, you can sense the mems over there emphasized. That's Sam Tomaod, mem. By Yaakov Avinu, it says, Hatsileni no, please God save me. And you have the nuns. Yaakov Avinu was redeemed through the letter nun. Nun, nun, Hatsileni no. And then finally, we have the Jewish people whose redemption comes from the letter Pei, when we went out of Egypt. Pakoid Pakaditi. Remember. So we know the secret of the redemption was coming from Pakoid Pakaditi, which is the double Pei. And finally, the coming of Mashiach is going to be the energy of the ultimate redemption is through the letter Tzadik. As it says, Tzemach Tzamachti, I've sprouted forth a plant. So you have the Tzadik. So these are the five letters and the five redemptions. So we begin with Avram Avinu, whose redemption is with the Chaf. This is the first redemption that the creation has. In what sense is Avram Avinu redeemed? What's his redemption? The redemption of Avram Avinu is that from this point and onward, he isn't functioning as a human being, he's functioning as a godly being. At this point is where the godly, the godly power of his neshama was activated. Until now, even though Avram is mentioned in last week's parsha, Avram Avinu is a sublime, refined, beautiful human being, devoted and dedicated to God, but he still remains a human being. At Lech Lecha, Hashem redeems him from the definitions of the human condition, from the limitations of the human condition. And he activates Avram Avinu's godly soul, and now Avram Avinu is, act, is acting as a godly being enclosed in a human being. 
And as a result of that, all of his actions are infinite. His activities might look like small actions, but they're channeling, they have an infinite force behind it because they're divine. And we, Avram Avinu's grandchildren as Jews, have that power from our grandfather. So, in, 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 in every day, so you look at, okay, what does that mean? That means in your daily activities, in, in, you as, you, everyone over here, all of us, we do things just in our regular day that we look at as just whatever, small little things. What you do today, I don't know, nothing special. Well, you did a lot of things special. When you daven Shmona Esrei, if you daven today, then you channeled infinite light. Every time you said, Baruch Atta Hashem, Baruch, let it open a flow of Atta, you Hashem itself, Yudke Vavke, you're talking about a channel, and no other being, nobody else in the world can do it. No other human beings besides the Jewish people. And no angel above. Even the highest celestial beings can't say, Baruch Atta Hashem. They can't turn on the faucet and cause a flow of godly light. If you gave tzedakah today, you activated through your physical arm, you activated God's hand through your hand in the tzedakah that you gave. doesn't make a difference how much it was. It could have been a penny to tzedakah. And a great philanthropist that's not Jewish could have given a billion dollars for tzedakah. His act remains a human act and your act remains a, is a godly act. In, enclosed in that penny that's given to tzedakah is flowing an infinite kindness into the cosmos. How is that possible? Because God redeemed your grandfather Avram, our grandfather Avram, from the limitations of the finiteness. And he hooked us up to being channels and, 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 and conduits of God to the world. And that's lech lecha. And that's, the deep, that's also the meaning of lech lecha. Go for yourself. Go out of all the limitations. Even the limitations as explained in the Hasidic masters. Ma'artzacha uh, means your desires. Ma'ladatcha means your emotions. Be'isavicha means your intelligence. I am lifting you up to a place infinitely beyond human intelligence, human desire. Even if it's beautiful desire. Even if it's the most refined, elevated emotions. Beautiful love. But they're human. I'm lifting you up totally beyond that. You're becoming an ambassador. You're becoming an actualizer of me, of God in the world. Lech lecha. So that's the redemption. That's the redemption that the Abishter Hashem redeems Avram Avinu. And what is it, and, and, and again, how is it being, how is it, with which letter? By the double chaf. Because all redemptions come through a chaf. I'm sorry, all redemptions come through the double letters. The first redemption came through the letter chaf from the menatzpach. What's the significance of the double letters? And why are the double letters so powerful? Why do the double letters bring, bring about redemption? So if you remember a couple of months ago, Pashas Nachamu, we had a class, and we spoke about the double, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. So it says, it's Nachama B'Kiflayim. Hashem says, I am comforting you with a double comfort. The power of the double is because double really means 
that whatever you have, you have it again. The concept of double doesn't mean twice. The concept of double means you thought it's finished. No, it repeats itself again. And then how many times? It goes on and on and on and on and on because it's infinite. So twice, that's what we find. Sages say about, we have six days of the week. And the six days of the week, that's creation. Creation is based on the number six. The six directions. Six days of the week. That's the fixed element of, 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 of limitations. And then you have Shabbos. Shabbos is the link between the creation and God. Shabbos is the, is the channel. Shabbos is the window through, where, through which that which is beyond and infinitely higher than the creation can funnel into the creation. It's the skylight through which sunlight, godly light can come to the world and redeem the creation from its finiteness. And that's why the sages say, everything about Shabbos is double. Kol iske de Shabbat Everything about Shabbos is double. The commandment of Shabbos is double. Zachar v'shamar. It wasn't one, and they were both said in one statement. Zachar v'shamar b'dibar echon. The korban of Shabbos, what's the special sacrifice we offered on Shabbos, is, um, is shnei kavos and two sheep. Shabbos, when we make Kiddush, and then we have... And then we, we wash on bread, we have two chalas. And so on, it goes on to explain various different things that are in Shabbos. And Shabbos Hashem gave us double portion. Because the reason why we have two chalas is to be because of the man which came to us double. What's the doubling of Shabbos? Shabbos is not, is time, but it's not time of the present. Shabbos is futuristic time. When Shabbos comes, we're in a, we go into a time machine and we go fast forward. We enter into messianic consciousness. We're living in Mashiach's world. It's a little piece of the future that God gives us now to give us oxygen, to keep us alive. So in the midst of the, of the, of the struggle, of the, of, the, of the constant struggle, we wouldn't survive. A Jewish soul is, 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 is above it all. It would, it, would, it would suffocate in this claustrophobic, constricted reality of time and space. So Hashem has to give us a little oxygen. So every Shabbos He whisks us out of the limitations of this world and He puts us into a whole different realm, into the realm of the future. Yom Shekulei Shabbos. Since it's, and that's an infinite. Over there is where the infinite is present and revealed. And that's why Shabbos is double. Because double represents the infinite. Those letters that are double are, represent the idea because double itself means infinite. So the letters that are double. See, all the letters, well, let's understand, why does God use letters? Hashem is Ein Sof. When God creates the world, He creates the world through speech, through letters. What does He need letters? Why do you need letters? When do we use letters? When we speak, when we want to, when we want to communicate. So if I have a concept, if I have an idea, this shear, for instance, tonight, it's basically one idea, it's one, it's one, one thought, or maybe two or three ideas. But, but it's going to take an hour and ten minutes to convey this class. Because I have to put this class into thousands of words. Which is, rather I should say, hundreds of words, thousands of letters. Why? Because it can't be communicated unless I chop that singular idea up into, into chunks. And, 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 and every piece of the shear, which has like, to, like, to, like, like for, let's, say, let's say 10 paragraphs, that would be written in 10 paragraphs, is made up of so many sentences, and those sentences are made up of letters, and every letter has a little crumb of the concept. So you're chopping it in. So the idea of letters is to take something that's too massive and too big to be communicated directly, 
And then, now, could you imagine when God is giving a class, okay? So we're talking about, in, <laughs> talking in self. For that to be communicated to a finite existence, Hashem uses speech. So the whole idea of letters and speech is fixed to put limitations and boundaries on an otherwise endless, boundless, and infinite flow of energy. So to create fixed pieces of energy, so and so. But, but here's the thing, what's giyula, what's redemption? Redemption is that you go back into that fixed reality and you infuse it with the infinite energy that's beyond it. Do you understand? So the letters need redemption. What's the redemption of the letters? So Hashem infuses the letters themselves with a power that's transcendent. What's the infusion of the power of transcendence that's in the letters? He makes a few of the letters be double letters. Five. We'll soon see why the significance of the number five. But five of the letters are double letters. So he's infusing within the finite uh, 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 blocks of creation the ability for the creation to be able to receive the Ainsof. And those are the double letters, which the number of double, double means infinite. Take that a step deeper. It says in Chasidus, I think the Shneir Zalman and Yadi in, in Parshas Bishalach explains the concept of double letters is that it's a marriage of a male letter and a female letter. All the other letters that we have, the 22 letters of the Olive Bays, are generally female letters. Because the whole power of speech is feminine. We know that the power of speech comes from Malchus. Malchus is feminine. All the nine spherot, Be'ikr, are masculine. Malchus, feminine. And the Gemara says that women took nine chunks, nine portions of speech. And the men get the last portion. The women have nine portions. So it's a tendency of women to talk more than men. So the idea is, because speech is a feminine trait. Words, letters. So those are feminine speech. Then there is masculine speech. Which means, so let's, let's understand the, the deeper meaning of that. The Shekhinah, feminine, that's the power of the fixed creation. If, if we're talking about the creation versus the creator, so God himself is the mashpia, in that sense he's male, because he's the mashpia, the one that's giving. The creation is the makabal, the recipient. In that sense, the creation is female, the recipient. If we dig, if we go a little bit, just a little bit into this more spiritual dynamics, the creation can't exist on its own. There is an, Hashem gives the creation its neshama, its soul. The soul of the creation is the Shekhinah. That's the power of God that's immersed, immersed and invested and embedded in the creation. It's the mother of the creation and that's the feminine power of creation. And that's the power of speech. Because how does the world create it? Because Hashem invested His ten utterances of speech, which is the Shekhinah that is within the world, creating the world. So those are the feminine letters. Now, when we say a marriage of the masculine letters with the feminine letters, which means there's a shidduch, there's a unification of a male letter and a female letter, what does that mean? It means that the power of the male, which is the HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is the Ein Sof, which is what we call in Hasidus, we sometimes refer to it as, those are a little bit familiar with the terminology, Sovev Kalalman. Sovev Kalalman means God's light that has not been diminished 
and, 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 and defined to the creation, but that it's ain sof, it's infinite, it's boundless. And that is connecting to the female letters. The female letters are the finite limit powers of energy that are m- more constricted within creation. In other words, what we're do- talking about over here is the ultimate fusion of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Shekhinah, the marriage. This is the cosmic marriage of God and the creation, of Hashem and the Shekhinah, and the fusion of the infinite and the finite. It's through these letters, and that's why you have double letters, because you have a couple, not just a single, a single woman. Each letter is a single woman. When, when she has a double letter, she's married. And that's the idea of redemption. And that's why by a chasana, when a couple gets married, immediately, what do we talk about on the b'chuppah? Because every marriage is really a process of redemption. Who's talking about that? A couple are getting married. What's, what's, who? No, right away. Because a marriage is that fusion of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Shechina. HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Shechina getting married together. That's Mashiach. That's the fusion of the infinite and the finite. And that's the double letters. And where does it appear the first time? Lech Lecha. So Parshas Lech Lecha really means the Parsha of Mashiach. Now here's something really cool, the Shlach HaKadosh. Great rabbi and mystic, the Holy Shalah. He's talking about this idea of this of Lech Lecha being the Parsha of redemption. And he points out, he says like this, Lech Lecha, Lech Lecha, let's see, Lech is Lamed Chaf. And Lecha is Lamed Chaf. So Lamed Chaf and Lamed Chaf, each Lamed Chaf is 50. Lamed is 30 and the numeric value, Gematria. So 50 and 50 is 100. So what does that mean? What does that mean? So let's step back for a moment and appreciate something really awesome. What is Hashem? In the simple, let's descend back down to earth, outside of this oldest Kabbalistic talk. Now on the very simple level, because you know the Torah, even though it has deep, deep, deep mystical secrets, it's one Torah. The spiritual and the physical have to harmonize and fear. So what's the story? The story is telling Avram Avinu that Avram should go to the land of Israel. Hashem is commanding Avram to go to Eretz Yisrael. From Haram, from Mesopotamia, to Eretz Yisrael. So we're talking about a journey to go to the land. That's the physical story. But as we read the physical story, there is the neshama of the story. What's the soul of the story? The soul of this story is, mamish, what we're talking about. The bringing of redemption to creation. The Shekhinah, which is the source of the finite physical world, is called Aretz. It's called Earth. By the way, this is very important to note. For those that perhaps get a little overwhelmed when we talk mysticism. So I want to say something, because when Mashiach is going to come very soon, and we're going to start learning Torah, and our eyes are going to open up, every verse of Torah we're going to learn is going to be infinitely, infinitely more mystical, but at the same time, very, very much revealed in the concrete reality. So it's okay to start getting used to a little bit of this abstraction and deeper ideas. So don't get scared. Because this is just a little taste. A little taste of futuristic Torah. 
So when you tells you a story about Avram going to the land, what's the deeper meaning? So let's understand this. The land, the Shekhinah, which is called the land. And let's understand why she called the land. Because it's the, low, the Shekhinah is the lowest level of the divine. It's, so to speak, the tail end of the divine. Because when godliness, when the Abishter, when God's light that's infinite, is trans, transmitted into the creation, it goes through a, a series of contractions, 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 contractions. And that's the whole idea of the, the progression of spheros, of attributes. And as it goes down, down, down. And what's the last and final stage? Is when Hashem condenses His energy into words, that's the Shekhinah, and is imbued to create finite existence. And that's why it's called earth. Because in the process of creation, what's the lowest creation? Earth. So just like earth is the lowest substance, if we take all of this and apply it to the divine realm, the lowest stage is Shekhinah. So Aretz is Shekhinah, which means the creation. Avram, before his name is Avraham, when his name is still Avram, comes from two words. Avram, exalted father. Av means father, Ram means exalted. So spiritually, what does that mean? Avram means a level called father that's very, very high. So if Aretz, if land, is the lowest point, Avram is the highest point. Because those familiar a little bit with Kabbalistic ideas know that the ten spheros, the ten attributes, start with Chachma and end with Malchus. Ten spheros is the, ten, the progression of ten levels where God descends lower and lower. The first one is Chachma. Chachma, wisdom, that's one with the Ein Sof. It touches the Ein Sof. So Chachma is like a vessel to contain the infinite. Malchus is just but a tiny little crumb of a crumb of a crumb of Chachma. All the way, all the way at the bottom. And Chachma is infinitely higher than Malchus. Chachma is called Father. In Chachma itself, there's many levels of Chachma. The highest peak, 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 peak of Chachma is called Exalted Father. Avram, Exalted Father. So what does Hashem say? Hashem says to Avram Avinu, the highest point that connects to the Ain Sof, literally, don't stay up here. Don't be, don't be secluded. Don't be an introvert. Don't stay within yourself. Go out and bring your light lower and lower and lower and lower. This is the progression. Descend from the various supernal, sublime levels of Ain Sof light and bring your light down. We are to the earth, to the Shekhinah, Asher Areka. Shine your light down into Malchus, into the Shekhinah. Now let's later translate that. What does that mean? Ultimately means... Bring your spiritual godly wisdom and light up the planet. Light up the world. Spiritually it means light up Malchus. But that too is translated. What does that mean? That means light up the streets of Hollywood. Light up the world. Light up the streets of the entire world with godly consciousness, with godly enlightenment. Don't remain secluded in a little shul and meisharim and serve your God up there. That's what you want to do. The first commandment, Avram, you're such a tzaddik, you're so exalted, you're so high, but don't stay secluded. Shine your light out. Bring it to the land. Bring it to the Shekhinah. 
Okay, so that happens with Avram. That's three and a half thousand years ago. What does it mean to me and you? Hashem tells our neshama every day. As soon as you're at the twilight zone, when your eyes are waking, waking up, and you're saying, Moidani lefanecha, you open your eyes and you say, Moidani, Hashem tells your exalted godly soul, don't stay hidden on top, above, private, sublime, above the consciousness of this body. Don't stay. Lech Go fill this physical, earthy body with godly illumination. How? Lech is gematria 100. So the Shlach Kodesh says, say 100 blessings today. Every day we're supposed to say 100 blessings. And every time we say 100 blessings, every time we say a blessing, we're infusing another dimension of our existence and another dimension of the cosmos with godly light into ultimately we're into our bodies, into our physical body, which is the Shekhinah. Shine that light downward. Shine it. Fill. Fill the world with the light. That's the meaning of to each and every one. Lech lecha. That's the same journey. How do we do that? Hashem speaks to our neshama and tells our soul, Lech lecha. Leave and shine out. Every blessing is a flow of energy. And all the blessings we make are about material, physical things. So every time you're about to do something physical and earthy, think about it. Every time you're about to do something physical and earthy that has zero significance to the greater existence and, 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 and basically its significance is only for the moment of right now and here, right? You're going to eat a pretzel. So what's the bigger significance of you eating a pretzel? Nothing. Until you do what? You say, Baruch Atah Hashem. Blessed and you, God. Elokeinu, power of everything, our power. Melech Olam, the king over the whole world. Bore mine mizonos. Ah, so now this little act is infused with divine power, with godly power. And you make a special blessing for putting on your shoes. And you make a special breath for every physical thing you do. That's lech lecha, there's a hundred blessings. And we know that interesting thing is that this journey from Lech Lecha works two ways. The journey of Lech Lecha is an upward journey, I'm sorry, a downward journey, the way I explained it right now, that Hashem is charging Avram Avinu, who is such a sublime level of intelligence that touches the Ein Sof, not to keep it private, but to shine it down, 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 into Malchus, into the Shekhinah, into the world. Hashem tells our transcendental soul every day, don't keep your light above. Shine that light into the body. Imbue every physical action, every moment of the day with godly content. That's one thing. But also, Lech Lecha means the other way. Hashem is also telling us to go on an upward journey. See, this journey is a downward journey. Because if you take a look at the story that I told you earlier, when Avram went to Eretz Yisrael, it seems like Avram is not descending. Spiritually, he's descending. But in the physical story, he's going from Mesopotamia, which isn't the Holy Land. It's called Charo, and Charo means a place that angers God. It's a really nasty place. And he's going to the land of Eretz Yisrael. He's going to the Promised Land. So where is he going? From a low place to a high place. So we have to say spiritually, the journey of Lech Lecha also means journeying from down and going up. Ascending, not only descending. Well, it means that as well. Because as Hashem speaks to our pure neshamala up there, 
a dialogue that's happening somewhere at that place where our neshama is beginning to touch the tip of our consciousness and God is talking to our soul, but we don't really hear that. Our neshama hears that. At the same time, the body down here is rubbing its eyes and still like, you know, waking up and what are we thinking about? We're not in all in touch with the spiritual conversation of our soul with God. What are we in touch with? We're in touch with our earthy selves and our physical desires. Oh, God talks to the lower part of us as well, and He says, begin climbing a ladder of higher consciousness. So there's two directions instructions. Hashem is instructing your soul to, un, to open herself up into your body, and Hashem is instructing the body to rise and to lift and to expand to receive the soul. How do you expand your consciousness every day? You wake up in the morning, you start saying blessings, and then you daven, and by meditating and davening, and learning Torah, and the like, you open yourself up from physical earthy consciousness into godly consciousness. So you're rising upward. And these are the two journeys that you're taking. Sometimes it's explained that the journey downward is through learning Torah. You're bringing godly information down into your body. And prayer is an upward journey. And in every day, the, uh, the, the traffic is going in both directions. The journey is taking place simultaneously. The soul is descending downward, and the body is rising upward. So there's a fusion. There's an elevation of all of creation, and there is a descendant of God into the creation. It's working in both directions. Simultaneously, how can you walk in two directions at the same time? Well, if you're Jewish, you can do that. Because you're not doing it because you're doing it, you're doing it because God is telling you. So therefore, it's not in one direction, it's two direction journeys. That will take us back to what I said earlier, lech lecha. So here's one more Kabbalistic concept, and then we'll go on to something more. So therefore, let's take a look at lech lecha again. Chaf and chaf. So it says, the Tzemach Tzedek explains, that the chaf, the regular chaf is malchus. He doesn't explain why chaf is malchus. So let's leave it a mystery. The regular chaf is the attribute of malchus. The long chaf is the attribute of keser, the Ein Sof. So the secret of the two chafs is that malchus from the very, very, very bottom, the shechina from the very bottom, rises higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and rises all the way up into keser. Lech lecha, go all the way to yourself. Go to the, your infinite source. So see, the journey is taking place in two ways. Seichal Anela Mikol Rayon, the very, very exalted father, Avram, you go down, 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 down into Malchus. Then Hashem instructs the Shechina Malchus, you rise up, up, up from the lower Chaf into the longer Chaf, which means that Malchus should rise into Keser, which is what Mashiach is. Because when Mashiach comes, it says about Melech Mashiach, about King Mashiach. The Pasik describes five levels of greatness. Yarim, Venisa, Vigava, Maoid. And I skipped one. I forgot already what one. And, and, and in quoting the Pasek, I missed one. It says five Lashonos. The elevation. This elevation of Malchus higher and higher and higher and higher happens on Yom Kippur. What do we do on Yom Kippur? How many prayers do we daven on Yom Kippur? Five prayers. So it says that Dafka on Yom Kippur, the greatest of all days, we reach the peak of elevation. The Shekhinah rises five levels. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chai, Yechida, all the way up into Kes. And that's the double journey. Hundred blessings that we spoke about is a downward flow. And the Chaf, from Malchus, rising up into Keser, is an upward elevation. 
And these two things happen simultaneously and unify together. So if that's the case, wow, if there's so much in this little Lech Lech over here, so much Moshiach, so there has to be in the parasha also some Moshiach content. So what's Moshiach content this week in the parasha? So to appreciate this and to understand this, Let's take the subject totally out of what we were talking about and change the subject completely and we'll bring it right back. Okay? Tonight is a very special night on the Jewish calendar. Tonight is the seventh day of Cheshvan. Seventh day of Cheshvan for most people goes unnoticed. But it is significant halachically. What's the halachic significance of the seventh day of Cheshvan? Is that in the land of Israel tonight they change the davening in the blessing Baruch Aleinu, we start asking for rain. Over here in the diaspora, we don't ask for rain until December 4th or December 5th because we follow the Babylonian custom. In, in Babylonia, in which modern-day Iraq, uh, there were, Iraq has a lot of rivers. There was enough water supply. They didn't need water for the irrigation of their fields till quite later in the winter. The land of Israel is very, very dependent on water and very dependent on rainwater. It's a very thirsty country. So immediately at the beginning of the winter, we want rain. So Cheshvan is the rain season. Right after Rosh Hashanah, Cheshvan is the time. Now October, October, November is when they need rain in Israel. That's when you plant, sow the fields. We must have rain. So that's why they start asking rain in Eretz Yisrael on the 7th of Cheshvan. Why wait till the 7th of Cheshvan? Why not start in the beginning of Cheshvan? So the Talmud says the reason we wait till the 7th of Cheshvan is because there are Jews that are making their way home from the yearly, tri-yearly pilgrimage. Three times a year, you didn't have to go to Eretz Yisrael, to Yerushalayim. So Sukkot, which we just had, and now this, and it, these Jews are making their way home. Now we're talking about the days before there was uh, the, tran- the modern day transportation. It took people a long time to go home. Most people traveled by foot. Those living at the very farthest points of Israel, in Eretz Yisrael, farthest points of Yerushalayim, is the furthest, farthest point north. Because we learned this week in the parasha that Avram Avinu, when he was going to Yerushalayim, was going south. Yerushalayim is closer in the southern portion of Israel. Now, the farthest point from Yerushalayim is the point north, which is next to the Euphrates River, up on Iraq. See, Eretz Yisrael extends much further than where, it, where the border is now in the Golan Heights. It goes much further north and it goes all the way up into Iraq. So the furthest Jews that are going all the way back home, getting back to the Nahar Paras, those Jews that are crossing the Euphrates River, it takes them two weeks to go back home. And therefore, we don't ask for rain until the 7th of Cheshvan because we expect that on the 6th of Cheshvan there might still be a few Jews, maybe five or four or three or two or one. The Jew who lives at the very, very, very end by the Euphrates River is going home and he might get caught in a thunderstorm. And we don't want this poor guy to get wet. So therefore we don't start asking for rain until we know that the last Jew had enough time to get back home. Which is, if you think about this, halacha is astounding. Because when we're talking about rain, we're talking about, not a, we're talking about a serious necessity. Rain is life. In the land of Israel, rain translates into food. Food for who? For all of the Jewish people. Talking about back then, 
And today's days, Baruch Hashem also, most of the Jews are already living in Israel. But they won't, now it's a little more than half. But then, we're talking about most. 90% of the Jews, or 80% of the Jews, lived in Israel. And there were some Jews living out. And in order for them to survive, they need... They survive, and, and again, we're dealing with, especially in those days, the whole import-export situation was not like it is today. So literally, if it doesn't rain and there's a drought, we're talking about serious threat of starvation. And the window for rain is not too big in Israel. It's cheshva, kislev. That's when you get your rains. It's the rainy season. And that's when it needs to rain. Sadly, there are years that the, the rain doesn't come and it's very, very big problems. We take a look at Masechta's Tainus. There's a whole tractate Masechta that deals with the horrors if there's no rain. That we, the, the, how the Basin decreed fasts and three fasts and another three fasts and up to 13 fasts is decreed on the community. Serious fast. And these are some of them, the last 10 of them are like Yom Kippur fast. They, you're now going to do all the stuff you do on Yom Kippur and you fast already the night. It's a 24 hour fast. Serious business. Because we really need the rain. There's no kidding around. We need rain. We badly, badly, badly need rain in the land of Israel. Now, what's the problem? And the clock is ticking. Cheshvan started. And, 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 we, and you know, every moment, this is the window for rain is open now for the next eight weeks or so. so, so and it doesn't rain constantly. You know, we hope a storm will come in. Everybody looks up to the sky waiting for the clouds to come. Millions... Hundreds of thousands of farmers across the land are looking for the rain, for the rain clouds. But don't make a peep. Don't make a peep. Don't even whisper a prayer for rain. No rain. Why? Most Jews are home already. Most Jews are home. 90, 95, 97, 98. Maybe, maybe 10 Jews are still walking. <laughs> By the time it gets to the sixth day of Cheshvin, you maybe have two Jews. And even those Jews, you're not even sure if they came this year. You don't know if everybody comes. Sometimes certain people are exempt from being oil or regal. But every year, it's not like we have to first survey if the Yidden who lived, if the guy sends a letter to the basin, please, I'm coming, make sure they don't ask for the rain. That's not what happens. Every year, they don't let anybody, no one, no one is allowed to daven for rain. And what's going to happen? It's like the guy's guna. He's going to get wet. The guy is going to get wet and uncomfortable. And because he's going to be... And for how long? This last day of his walk. He's going to get wet. And what's the benefit? Again, that's the downside. Let him bring a good raincoat and good boots and finished. That's the downside. The benefit is all of Israel is, are waiting for that rain for their livelihood. Not for some... Some, uh, some, you know, extra bonus. We're talking about food to put on their families' tables for their hungry children, for their elderly, for everybody. Food. Life. And yet, what do we say? Nope, no one is davening for rain. Hold up. Maybe there's a Jew. Because the sages use the term, Achron Shabbat Yisrael. Achrei means one. The last Jew needs to get to the Euphrates River. When we're sure that he's there, now we can pray for rain. This is so astounding that we hold everybody back for davening for rain for this one Jew. It's really strange. Now to make matters worse and to make the question much, much bigger, 
it becomes not just a matter of, okay, we say everybody, you know, we all have to sacrifice a little bit for, we don't want someone to be uncomfortable. But it goes much deeper than that. It's not just a sacrifice. It becomes a halachic question. The halacha is that when you need something, you have to pray. When you have a need, you're obligated to pray. Prayer is not optional. It's a commitment. And anything you need, if you need something, you're obligated to speak to God about it and ask it from Hashem. Which means that inside for your daily prayers, you're supposed to sit down in the morning before Shachas and think, is there anything I need today? Do I need to pass a test? Do I need to apply for something and hope they're going to give it to me? Or am I lacking somewhere and I don't know how I'm going to pay a certain bill? Or do I have a little sniffle and a little cold and I need a refuah shalema? Write it down every day. Write down all your needs. And then don't forget, because when you get to Shemona Esrei, when you get to Shema Kuleinu, take out your thing, either pray in your thoughts or you're allowed to actually verbalize it. You're allowed to say, Hashem, I need so and so. Even something as mundane as the lady that was supposed to come help in the house called in sick and she's not coming and I need help. There was one at Tzaddik who used who davened because his wife had a problem and she it was, I think, the Chayzeh from Lublin or something. And he spent davening. He said, There's nothing too mundane for God. You need something. You daven. Whatever it is. You have an obligation to daven to Hashem for anything you need. So now you have a problem because all the Jewish people need rain. How is it that they're not davening? You're causing hundreds of thousands of Jews to violate the halacha of an obligation to daven because someone might get wet. Again, nothing is going to happen to this individual. We don't even know if he exists. If he exists, he might get wet. If the rains are going to come, no, no one is allowed to daven. Now let's take it and add, it, add another problem to that. The halacha is that you're not allowed to cause your body unnecessary pain. You know why? Because your body is not yours. Your body is given to you as a loan from God. Your neshama is you, and Hashem gives you your body as a loan to use it to serve God. That's your body is here. And you have to take care of your body really, really well. So you're not allowed to deprive your body. Even just to hold back from your body food that the body needs, not that the body wants. The body wants to eat all day. That's not necessarily what is you need to give your body. But talking about if the body needs food and you deprive your body, it's a prohibition. Causing pain to the body, affliction. Now, there are certain exemptions. Someone does it for tshuva and for whatever reasons. Okay, so there's certain, just like when a person is ill, they have special, a special exercise or a special regimen, special diet. So there is sometimes permission granted that you can fast or do something that causes pain to the body for a greater purpose. But just like this, one is not allowed, you're not allowed to hurt your body. So now we're telling all the Jewish people in the land of Israel that what? They need the rain for, for, for their food, food for sustenance. Rain translates into food. Food is what you need, you need to live. Your people are going to be hurting their physical bodies. For what? Because maybe, or maybe only, someone is going to get wet. Ah, so you see, now the halacha now becomes far of a greater problem. So what's the answer to all of this? How does it work? The answer to all of this is... Well, that's what it means to be Jewish. A Jew is a whole different creature. A Jew is a whole different phenomenon. We are so tied up with each other. We are so connected. 
We are so attached. And we are so one with each other. That if I have a need, and my need is a crucial need, but that need, that if I get my need, it's going to hurt you. And it's going to hurt you even just minorly. Then I don't want it. And deeper than that, I don't need it. I don't need it. Well, that's incredible. It's one thing to say. It's one thing to say. You know what? I have to make a sacrifice. I'm sacrificing my needs so that you will be comfortable. I'm not going to cause you discomfort. So I'm going to sacrifice. I really am bursting. I'm a farmer and I know how desperate I am for that rain. And I can't wait to open up that sitter and say, Rain! And boom! You know what I this week Friday night? We had the thunder and storm and the rain came down. Jews have power. When a Jew davens, you see that we treat the davening very seriously. Because we don't let anybody daven. Because if they'll daven, they'll cause the rain to come. So here we need the rain so badly. And we're saying, you know what? Sacrifice it. Sacrifice it. You might hurt someone, so sacrifice. We're going much deeper. In other words, our attachment is not just what the way we behave. We're talking about a deep internal. Because if you need it, you have to daven for it. If you have a need, you have to daven for it. The only way you're exempt from davening from it is if you don't need it. How is it that you don't need it? The only way you don't need it is because you're so one with someone else, with another Jew. And we as Jews are so one with every Jew that if there's a Jew that's going to be harmed and hurt and uncomfortable because of the rain, then as important as it is, I don't need it. That's wild. And that's not some refined... This is halacha. This is Jewish law. Jewish law is that no Jew needs rain until the seventh day of Cheshvan. That is so wild. Because again, if we would need it, we would, obligate it, we would be obligated to pray for it. We just don't need it. And we don't need it because it's hurting someone else. And going back to pain in the body, the pain to the body that we said, you're not allowed to pain the body, just trying to take care of the halach of it. You see, not asking for rain today anyways doesn't influence the body right now. Because the, the rain comes now, you're not going to be eating till the, the food that's going to grow from this rain is in a couple of months down the line. The reason why we're talking about that it pains the body is the psychological pain. That I know that I might be missing my chances for rain, and because of that I'll be lacking on food tomorrow. So what we're saying now is, that if I know that my rain is going to hurt someone else, then I don't feel that pain. I don't feel that. I don't feel that pain quite on the contrary. If it will rain on the sixth day of Cheshvan, when the Jew is going home, that will hurt me more than not having the rain. Wow, that's wild. And that's the halach. That's how intrinsically this connected to what we spoke about last week, about being Jewish over Noah. Noah was busy being good, but he didn't care about people. Judaism means you care about everybody so deeply. And when someone else is going to get wet, you can't, you have no need. I mean, we understand this physically. That people, that if you have something that's very dear to you because of someone else, 
then you suddenly don't feel the need for it. If you're a person that needs to go to sleep every day, nine o'clock at night, you need, you tell the nine o'clock, I'm in bed. I need my sleep. Nine o'clock, I'm in, nine o'clock, I'm in bed. I need my sleep. If I don't sleep for nine o'clock, forget about it. I'm, I'll be off schedule. I'll be crazy. Don't come next to me for the next three weeks. Yet, when your daughter is getting married, as you're, you're past, you missed your best time, nine o'clock. And you don't even feel the need to go to sleep. Why? Because your daughter's hostile. Or your, right? So that's too. So we see many times when there's something extremely important to us, very important, and it's a real need, but when it's overpowered by something so much greater, then the need dissipates. We, our need for rain dissipates. We don't have any need for something that's life-giving when it's going to hurt someone. That's the unity of the Jewish people. What in the world does this have to do with anything we spoke about before? About Mashiach. So watch how this all comes together. See? Avram Avinu with his whole lech lecha, with his whole power of redemption, comes into Eretz Yisrael and what is he doing? He's building, he's building altars. What happens? He builds altars. If you follow Avram Avinu, you see that he built three altars. Soon as he came into Eretz Yisrael, then he built another altar. And finally he builds his third altar, after Mizbeach, after he comes back from Mitzrayim. And he builds it in the city called Hebron. That's where Avram builds his third Mizbeach. Now building altars that the Torah tells us that Avram did, we have to realize is what? Building altars is very, very, very crucial to the whole story of Avram. Why? Because building a Mizbeach represents your general service to Hashem. In Yiddishkeit, we know there is Torah, there is Gemilas Chasadim, there is Mitzvahs, and there is something called Avoda. Avoda means worship. And what's worship? Today's days, we do it through prayer. When we don't have prayer, how do we do it? Or what was the real way of doing it? Through sacrifice. So offering Karbanos represents the general worship of a person, of a Jew to God. We're talking about the first Jew worshiping Hashem, and he offers and he builds three altars. His last one, where was it done? In the city of Hebron. What's the, what's the, what's the significance of the city of Hebron? Hebron is Hebron. Fine. We know later that Avram is going to be buried in Hebron. And Sarah is going to be... Right? And we know Hebron is a very special place. A very holy place. But the Zohar says something very amazing. The Zohar says that Hebron comes from the word Chibor. Chibor means attachment. And Hebron is the point of connection where Yidden Jews attach to God. Yerushalayim and Hebron. Hebron means Chibor attachment. And Hebron is the idea of Kol Yisrael Chaverim, that all the Jewish people are unified and attached to each other. Hebron, the very de- 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 definition of Hebron means attached. Avram's Mizbeach being in Hebron means. Avram's third Mizbeach, if, let's, let's build it together. If Mizbeach means worship, three Mizbeach means, what does three Mizbeach mean? Acceleration in worship. Avram begins first as an amateur servant, and then he works his way up higher to a higher service, and finally Avram reaches the peak of his service, which is Hebron. You see, he actually dies in Hebron. 
Now the truth is the Torah is going to tell us a much longer story of Avram. But a Mizbeach, this is the last Mizbeach. Besides the one that he built for Yitzchak and Hara Maria, but that's not called one of his Mizbeachs. The Mizbeachs that Avram Avinu built are these three Mizbeachs. So Avram's peak of his service is the Mizbeach that he builds in Hebron. What does Hebron mean? Attachment. Avram's Mizbeach, which now we are all descendants of Avram, so we're all emulating Avram Avinu. In our service, our worship has to be built on what? What's the foundation of Jewish service to Hashem? Is when our service is not individual. When our service is Hebron. The service of a Jew is a service that has the Jew feel his unification, his attachment to every single Jew. If you're doing your own thing and there's no care and there's no sense, I don't mean you, I mean myself or all of us. If we're doing our own thing, chas and we're not in a state of chevron, of an attachment to all Jews, to Jewish people in our service, then, 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 then there is the, the whole soul of our Yiddishkeit is missing. Chevron. But what's but what's the power behind that? Where does the power of that Hebron come from? So the Medrash tells us something really cool. The Medrash explains each place that Avram built the Mizbeach. What happened in that place that Avram built the Mizbeach and that? But we discussed it in a class a few years ago called the Three Altars. Something happened in each place that Avram Avinu built the Mizbeach. The first place was he, he, he saw uh, that his children were going to receive, make the covenant with God. Har Gerizim and Har Eval by Shechem. Second place, he prayed because Achan, one of his great-grandchildren, Achan is going to steal and jeopardize and put the Jewish army in danger. When he stole, when the Jewish people conquered Yericho, there was a person who violated and took, stole from the property, consecrated property, fine. The third Mizbeach, why did he build the third Mizbeach in Hebron? So the Medrash Hagadol tells us, the third Mizbeach that Avram, Avram built that Mizbeach because he had a, a, a prophecy that something extremely special is going to happen in Hebron. What's going to happen in Hebron? The Jewish people are going to get together as stated in Shmuel Beis and in the city of Hebron the Jewish people are going to come together Perikei and they're going to appoint King David as their Melech. Which means King David was appointed by Shmuel Anavi much earlier and when Shaul HaMelech died, when King Saul died, only David HaMelech's tribe of Yehuda saw him as their king. David HaMelech had one, one tribe, his own tribe was his followers. He was a king over the, over, over the people of Yehuda, but he was not a king over the Jewish people. Then after Shaul HaMelech's son died, his name was Mepiboshes, after his son died, right, and uh, they killed him. I'm sorry, not Mepiboshes, I'm sorry, Ishboshes. Ishboshes was killed, the son of David Amelech. They, 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 they assassinated him, the son of Shaul. They assassinated him, whole story. Then the people came to David Amelech, and everybody came. And the Pasik says, All the elders of the Jewish people came, El Amelech all the people came to the king to Hebron. David Bris, and David sealed a covenant with them in front of Hebron. So the Mafarshim say 
That basically what that meant was, in Hebron we appointed David Amalek and we made a covenant. And, da- and Avram Avinu, when he built his Mizbeach, was, was building his Mizbeach to thank God and to attach himself to, the, to, to, to that event of the crowning of David Amalekh as the king of the Jewish people. Now these things, these, all these things that I'm talking about are not, are not disconnected, they're all connected. What does Hebron mean? Hebron means attachment. For all the Jewish people to be absolutely, singularly attached, such oneness, and it's hinted to in the day that we're standing in today, which is the day of Zion Cheshon, which always comes out the week of Parshas Lech Lecha. In other words, for that oneness, for our worship of Hashem, not to be, God forbid, an exercise of self-indulgence, of people serving there for their own personal benefits, but rather of one of, 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 of all-inclusiveness, and in oneness, and achtos, and perfect unity. Such unity that my prayers change from my needs, because I can't pray, because if it's going to hurt you, even just a little level of discomfort, and only on a maybe, I don't even feel a need to daven for something. That's how deeply unified we are. How do we feel such unity? How do we get such unity? We get some unity from, from Avram Avinu, who's the first Jew. And he's the singular point where we all connect. But Avram Avinu is a singular point where we're one before we become a nation. How do we connect and be, remain one even after we're a nation? And the answer is, that's the job of the king. The Melech Yisrael, the king of the Jewish people, he's the heart of the Jewish people. And what does the heart do? The Rambam says, HaMelech Lev Yisrael, he's the heart of the Jewish people. And what does the, what does the heart do? What does the heart do? The heart pumps blood into all the limbs. Same blood, the same blood runs through all the limbs, so all the limbs and all the organs are living with one life. It's not separate limbs. The toes are not disconnected from the nose. The toes and the nose and all the other limbs in between are all unified because they all share one blood. And who gives them that blood? One pumping heart. The pumping heart of the Jewish people are the king. Rambam says the point of the Melech is to unify the people into one entity. Who is the king of the Jewish people for all eternity? David Melech Yisrael Chai V'Kayam. Who is the ultimate king who is going to bring this unity to its fullest expression? Mashiach Ben David, who is the one who is the ultimate unifier of all the Jewish people. In truth, Mashiach is the glue, or rather much deeper than the blue, the lifeblood of all the Jewish people from Avram Avinu to the very last Jew, who is going to hear the Shoifish Mashiach, hopefully all of us, every, any moment, we're going to see the Giyula, all connected with one blood flow. Who is that? That's Mashiach Tzedkenu. So when Avram Avinu is offering his, his Mizbeach, he's building his Mizbeach, means his highest levels of service, what's in his mind? In his mind is the crowning of David HaMelech as Melech Yisrael, which is where in Hebron. Why does it happen in Hebron? Because the job of the king is the chibur of all the Jewish people to each other, and through that the chibur of the Jewish people to God. That means that Avram's entire avodah was to bring Mashiach. That's in his mind. That's his, that's his peak, that's his last Mizbeach. And what does it say to all of us? The two keys, the two things that are necessary. Here we are. We're standing Pashas Lech Lecha in the year 5779. We've seen incredible things happening in the last couple of years. Moshiach's advance in the world in the last two years is spectacular. Unbelievable. To think about the condition, the way things were two years ago, and the way things are now regarding Israel, regarding Yerushalayim Erakodesh, regarding the Iranian deal, regarding so many things we're standing in. But who anybody sees, you can see and sense the powerful war that's going on, the powerful fight to stop the redemption. But, but it's happening. Tremendous advances. 
And here's the thing, because we don't have a Navi, because we don't have a, someone who can tell us clearly, most people are, are like, so like, we're so like, we don't know. So we're, you know, we get excited when Yerushalayim was announced, we got excited. When Rabashkin was freed, suddenly we got excited. When the Iranian deal was thwarted and broken, we got excited. But then the nature of people is we kind of like, oh. And this is very dangerous because we don't want to have any setbacks. I'm not a Navi. I don't know everything that's going on. I didn't like that Nikki Haley stepped out of the UN. I don't know what that is. And I know it must be for a much higher reason. But we have to realize that the story of the redemption is unfolding. So when we see a little bit of something that looks like a setback, we got to, we got we, we see, here's the thing, we're the ones who make it happen. Our emuna, our intense belief, and our emuna, and our drive towards Mashiach makes it happen. And when we get a little cold, or we get a little lax, here is the idea. Avram Avinu builds his Mizbeach, and the Mizbeach that Avram Avinu built is in Hebron. The one story in Jewish history that Avram Avinu was thinking about when he builds his last Mizbeach, which by the way is the third Mizbeach, so it corresponds to the third Mizbeach, first base of English, second base of English, third base of English. But who's at the center of it all? Mashiach Tzedkenu. Malchus base David. Because without Malchus base David, we don't have anything. This is just showing us and expressing to us how deeply and how strongly our Two things, our attachment to each other needs to be, our sensitivity and our caring about each other, and focusing all that energy to the source of our oneness, to the nucleus of the Jewish soul and the Jewish spirit. Beginning with Avram Avinu, culminating, it's through David HaMelech, through the neshama of David HaMelech, David HaMelech doesn't perish, David HaMelech lives on forever. Not in Olam Haba, because all tzaddikim live in Olam Haba. Down in this world, David HaMelech is alive somehow, even though we don't see him. David Melech Yisrael, Chai V'Kayam is alive, and he leads us right towards the p- person that culminates and brings everything and reveals our oneness on a level that is never ever seen before, and that's Moshiach Tzedkenu. So, to conclude, the, 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 in Tehillim it says like this, in Yalkut in Tehillim, the Chidah brings this. The Chidah says that if there's one thing that can bring the redemption, it's the, it's the waiting and the hoping and the non-stop longing for Mashiach. He says, when the Nusach of the Bracha we say in Davening is, Let the sprout of David HaMelech sprout forth. The Karanoi Torah and his horn should be raised. That means his crown should be lifted. And we say, because we're, da- because we're waiting for you. So the Chidah asks the question, what does that mean, a reason, because we're waiting? Are we worthy for the redemption? The redemption will come. If we're not worthy for the redemption, the redemption will not come. So the Chidah says, no, that's not true. He says, even if we're not worthy for the redemption, but just the reward for waiting and anticipating and hoping for the redemption, that itself makes the Jewish people worthy. And the same thing says the Radak. The Radak says that the thousands of people who died, the last Radak in Shmuel, you can check it up, Shmuel Bey is the last Radak. He says all the thousands of Jews who passed away in the days of David HaMelech, they passed away only because they did not demand the Beis HaMikdash. They never had a Beis HaMikdash. But because they weren't waiting and with breathless anticipation for the Beis HaMikdash, that's why God was so upset that the people died. 
He says a kalvachoymer. If they never had the base hamidrash and it never destroyed the base hamidrash, we're punished because they didn't wait for the base hamidrash. We says how much more so that we lost already the base hamidrash that we have to wait and wait and cry and hope and thirst and long for the base hamidrash. So what's left for us right now? Everything we do all day long should be, we should all become completely OCD about Mashiach. That, that, that's where we're at right now. We can only drive ourselves with a frenzy to, to be Mashiach focused nonstop. Two things, loving a fellow Jew, then another Jew's problem becomes my problem. And it's to the point that I sense someone else more than I sense myself. You say it's quite a task. If the halacha says this is the halacha of every Jew, the halacha was not said only for big tzaddikim. The halacha said that every Jew is now at a daven for rain until the last Jew gets home because it's not your need. It's a sign that we're all capable of it. It's just a matter of being, just being conscious and being aware and allowing that natural and innate Jewishness to come forth. Particularly, how do we connect to that oneness that connects us all through our connecting ourselves to the soul of Mashiach Tzadkenu who is that source of singularity. And how do we connect to Mashiach Tzidkenu? By waiting for Him. By longing for Him. So, Lech Lecha. We begin learning the Torah this year from fresh, from new, the ultimate journey, the double letters, the power of redemption. But we need to become mindful of it. And the more mindful we become about it, the more the miracles are going to happen in the world. Because it's mentioned many times, is without a shadow of a doubt, the redemption process is in full swing, it's just that it can move very quickly or it can slow down. And it, it goes along with us. The more dedicated, the more Mashiach-driven we are, it picks up enormous speed. Then when we get distracted and everybody starts getting back into whatever it is, it could be very important things, but if it's not Mashiach, then what happens is, then the whole process slows down. And slowing down on the process is not we're already long overdue. We need to make it happen. To make it happen, we got, we, we got to go for it. We got to go for it with all of our heart and soul. It shouldn't be a, a day that we don't think about Mashiach and don't pray outside of David. Take a capital to heal him once a day. Say, I'm giving tzedakah now and I am praying that Mashiach should come now. That in mind, we're going to make it happen. And we're going to make it happen. Mamish, mamish, mamish. Mekarev, mamish, mamish, mamish. May it be now, now, and now.